discussion. Um, so I'll give a guided meditation instructions. Uh, I'll talk for a few minutes to settle us into the practice. Then there'll be a longer period of practice in silence. Uh, very helpful for all of us to sit upright, as upright as you can, so that your back is relatively straight without being stiff. And that if you're sitting on a cushion or a bench, that your lower part of the body is supporting you. And it's the same if you're sitting in the chair, you want the lower part of your body to be supporting you. Like even I'm sitting in a chair today, um, but I've got a cushion under me, so I'm up higher. So I'm sitting more on my sits bones as much as possible. In fact, I'm wishing I was a little higher. Let me see if I can make this chair go up a little more. Uh, yeah, that's better. Yeah, and so there's a slight, now the way I'm sitting with the cushion underneath me, there's a slight tilt in my pelvis, and it allows me to be more on my sits bones. And so the uprightness comes from the base of my spine. And of course, my legs, my both feet are flat, which really supports sitting in the chair. And you can put your hands uh, together like this. You can have your hands on your lap, whatever works for you. And very helpful to let your eyes close so that it supports concentration and being one-pointed or unified with what we're experiencing physically, somatically, kinesthetically in the moment. And really it's just the beginning of the first foundation of mindfulness, which is bodyfulness. And given that there's a lot going on in the world right now, it's really helpful if we can land here in the present moment now. And so our physical form becomes one of the resources that we can use. And for some of us, this means just feeling our whole body sitting here. And for some of us, if it's not comfortable to feel your whole body, you could just feel your rear end on the chair or the cushion or the bench. Or for some of us, we may want more a more neutral area than our bottom. So some people like to just sense their arms and legs. Or their feet only. But landing in your body in some way, shape, or form that works for you that supports your being present in the moment with the uh, simple sensations of being alive, even if it's your elbows that are alive. 
or your torso or your whole body, whatever works for you. And of course, for many of us, breathing is one of the key components of our meditation practice. As you settle into your body sitting here, please see what happens if you relax in any way you can. Relax with what's comfortable, relax around whatever's uncomfortable. And of course, relax with your thoughts or ideas or, and you don't have to stop your thoughts, but don't get enchanted by them. Be aware of them, relax around them. Notice how the awareness is not bound by what it's aware of. It's simply aware of what's ever here, including thoughts or sounds, or smells, or feelings, or emotions. And you can begin to rest in the knowing, rest in the one who knows, as Ajahn Chah would often say, or rest in that which knows, because the knowing is immediate. Anytime you're aware of anything, it's being known.
And so you may have lots of thoughts or emotions or feelings given the current situation, which is very fluid and changing every day that we're all living with. Can you be here in this moment, sitting in your home or wherever you are, your office, or and simply be aware of the liveness that's sitting here that knows that it's alive. And what's being asked of all of us is simply to be here in a full way. And so the meditation allows us to be here fully in this moment, even with the thoughts or feelings or sounds or smells or tastes or touch or sensations or their reactions to life, to this moment or what's happening in the world, can we be here? And of course it may be paradoxical that where else could we be except right where we are but we're still learning how to rest here or relax here or open to just this this body this breath this heart this mind right now
whatever has happened thus far in the meditation is in the past. So please stay present to this moment, whatever it may be. And also please remember if you get sleepy during the meditation to stand up or to open your eyes or to sit up straighter to support being awake.
feels good to me to be here with you all, even in this odd way that we call Zoom. Um, nice to see your faces and even for the people who don't have, who aren't live, but see their names. A lot of different people from different parts of, uh, of San Francisco Insight, different times or places. And so great, great to see all of you really. Um, what I want to do is give a talk about what's going on, meaning more talk about uh, what's happening from a Buddhist perspective, and especially in terms of giving context about what's happening, we're putting it in the bigger picture. And one of the ways, one of the ways I believe that um, Buddhism functions and meditation functions is so we begin to see the way things are. We begin to see not just what's happening in the moment, but how what's happening in the moment is part of causes and conditions that have started, you know, a minute ago or a day ago or a year ago or many years ago. And those causes and conditions have a multiplicity of impacts, or there's a, a to say it better, there's a, there's a multiplicity of causes and conditions that lead to any moment and to this life. And when we start to see the bigger context of what's happening, something in us can relax and be here, even when we don't like it or don't want it, or it's not what we think should be happening. Because I don't think anybody thinks this should be happening or is happy that COVID-19 is happening or that you know, we all know what to do because as you can see from the news and maybe from yourself, nobody actually knows quite what to do yet. And we're learning as we go. And um, so to give a little context, one of the articles I read this week in the New York Times was about two extraordinary women, one who's 101, year old woman and one who's young who's 95 and they're a couple and they've been together for many many years and I thought I would read you a little of the article just to get a picture of their context how they contextualize coronavirus and so um, and so the article says, during the first half of the 20th century, plague and conflict emerged on an epic scale again and again. Loss and restriction were routine. Disaster was its own season. Uh, at 101, Naomi Raplansky, a poet and labor activist, has endured much. Uh, she arrived in the world uh, her arrival in the world coincided with the onset of the Spanish flu. And the Spanish flu in uh, New York claimed millions of lives, right? Many of them children under the age five. And then polio had already been designated an epidemic in June of 1916, right? And so she was born in 1918, Naomi, right? But Polio had already been designated an epidemic in New York and 2,000 people had died of that disease in New York City, 
That's just New York City. And so until the polio vaccine came into use in the 1950s, uh, outbreaks occurred in the country nearly every spring, right? Every spring. Public gatherings were regularly canceled. Wealthy people in big cities left for the country. And by the 1920s, her sister was stricken, leaving one of her limbs permanently paralyzed. And so you start to hear what people have lived through. And I'm giving the context in the hope we see that this is not exactly new. This is part of the human experience. And it's not a part we want. It's not a part we like. It's not a part we're, we're familiar with how to deal with in some ways. And it goes on the article. I'm just reading some portions. Um, Naomi and her 95-year-old wife, Eva Kalish, were at home at this last weekend in their one-bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side listening to Marian Anderson on vinyl. The album they listened to was Spirituals, right? And if you know Marian Anderson, she's a brilliant American songstress and spiritualist. And she said, Naomi said, confinement doesn't bother me. My shaky frame can, ha can handle more than confinement. And I don't know if I should, I'll try to show this to you. Let me know if you can see this at all. It's a picture of them. Right? Can you see that a little bit? Nod your head if you go, or thumbs up. Yeah. And so that's them at 101 and 95. And, uh, and they were introduced together by Grace Pauley, who was a writer in New York, at a reading of her work in the 80s. And they were both pat well past middle age when they met. Long after the tragedies and social disruptions of the previous decades had touched them with each with such intimacy. And the writer says, when catastrophe is sequential, it eventually trains its survivors to greet terror with the serenity of the enlightened. Right? So they're pointing at something that happens as we live a life. And as we live this life, our lives, this happens for us. As long as we can keep staying here and present with reality, however it is, even when it's bad. And then it goes on, uh, Eva and Naomi both experienced, they're Jewish, experienced anti-Semitism at a young age. Eva, who is raised in a family of wealthy Jewish intellectuals outside of Vienna, recalls being beaten by a group of children for being a dirty Jew when she was six, right, six years old. And during her childhood in the Bronx, Naomi was privy to the fascist radio broadcast of Father Conglin, who was quite a racist, anti-Semite, right-winger, um, very fascist, which were always emanating from the open windows of the different buildings during the summer. And then they talk more about what happened to them, how Eva survived in, in uh, Europe, that a year after the Nazi annexation of Austria, in 1939, she fled via the Kinder transport a series of res rescue efforts that placed Jewish children in British homes. 
Eva was 13 and she traveled with her siblings first by train to the Netherlands and then by ship to England. This is to survive, right? And she said, the minute we got to Holland, it seemed so wonderful that there were kind people there at the station platform. And she says, they gave you orange juice and smiled at you, right? Because of the kind of trauma that she was coming from, just the kindness of people meant so much. And she goes on, she said, she said, when we were in England, I soon realized I was extremely lonely. Her brothers had been, she and her brothers had been dispersed to different homes while their parents stayed behind. And in 1940, the family escaped the Holocaust and reunited in America. And her parents had, of course, lost everything. So her mother came here and worked teaching English to refugees for 25 cents an hour to earn money. And her father, who had been a prominent architect in Australia, sold vacuum cleaners, right? And Eva ended up, as she graduated from high school in New York, she went to Detroit to work in an auto factory. And she used to uh, jump on the hoods of Jeeps, rolling down the line and attach the windshield wipers. That was her work, right? And, um, and in the evening, she was a labor organizer for a Trotskyist group. So she was a left-winger, communist or socialist, right? And she even hitchhiked across the country at that point. And Naomi, who graduated high school at the height of the Depression in 1934, worked in offices and, was, and, became, and went to UCLA finally, got the resources to go to UCLA, and, in, uh, and was an early computer programmer. And her first collection of poetry in 1952 was nominated for the National Book Award. And she maintained close friendships with Richard Wright, great writer, and Bertolt Brecht, who was a German uh, uh, playwright and author. And they also, um, you know, they, they both were interested in living their lives while they were here. And so Eva was fierce, fiercely ambitious for a certain kind of urbane, cerebral life. And she eventually became a professor of comparative literature at Sarah Lawrence. She married two men, had a son with one of them, and was a lover of Susan Sontag's. Right, and then with the emergence of coronavirus, oh, until the emergence of coronavirus, Eva and Naomi went, were out often. On most days they took long walks and they were active in a Buddhist Sangha and a meditation center. So I'm just giving you a little picture of human life that might be a little different than what we've been through even though some of us have been through a lot and a lot of trauma as these women have been. And yet here they are at 101 and 101 and 95, living their lives, still practicing, right? They go to Buddha Sangha. I don't think they've been to SFI yet, but I wouldn't doubt that they could come if they, they'd figure it out if they wanted to, right? And it gives context for human life, how difficult it is at times and how 
oddly enough, it's workable as long as we're here in some way, shape, or form. And they managed to go through really, really difficult things. And so I wanted to start with that to give you bigger context for what we're all dealing with, what we're living with, what we're working with, what's difficult for us, what's not easy. I'm not trying to gloss over any of the difficulty, but I want to keep sitting back and being aware of the whole picture in addition to what's happening right here in Eugene and Eugene's world and Eugene's body and heart and mind. Uh, but also there's more than just Eugene. There's all of you. There's all of us really together. And how do we work with that? And there's even more than all of us. There's the whole world now with its interconnectivity that is undeniable now because everybody's dealing with the same dukkha right now. And if you're new and you dukkha is the word for suffering or difficulty and, and everybody in the whole world is dealing with this in some way, shape or form. And so here we are together. And I saw a, a, a little, piece by Prabhasal Vesalo, who's a, a Theravadan monk in Thailand. And he was somebody who'd been, it said, uh, he was, he's about uh, 57. I think that might be right. Let me just think. No, he's not that old. He's 59, something like that. Um, he said, and he, it said he was heavily involved in student activism and human rights protection before being ordained as a Theravadan monk in 19, in 18, uh, in 1983, not 1883, 1983. And so he had three things he was encouraging people to do that I thought were helpful that I'm trying to point at even in the story I read and what the other piece I'm going to read to you. He thought that this was an opportunity to understand and accept reality. Understand and accept reality. And we're all learning how to do that. And we're all learning in our own ways, but that's what the Dharma is always teaching us. How do we come into the lived moment of what's true? How can we come into a living reality and wake up right here, right now, with this, even when it's difficult? And so he said they, it's an opportunity to understand and accept reality and that to understand that humankind will continue to live with infectious diseases in many forms. And so, he, and so he really encouraged all of us, all of you and me, all of us, to wash your hands a lot. <laughs> I thought that's a great Buddhist teaching that we're all getting now. Wash your hands a lot, regularly, right? Be careful of what you're touching. Be careful of touching your face without washing your hands. Accept it. And so he said, this is an opportunity to be mindful in daily life. So one of our daily practices is washing our hands. I mean, to be honest, I don't even know how many times I've washed my hands today. 
15, 20 something, partly because every time I go out, my wife really wants me to wash my hands and I'm bowing to her wisdom, right? And every time, you know, I get a package or buy something and food and put it in the fridge, then wash or wash my hands even before I put it in the fridge, after, just to try to minimize the possibility of harm, right? And then he said, it's an opportunity to practice mindful living, right? Um, he said, it's not only a dangerous virus spreading in our society. It's not only a dangerous virus spreading in society because, you know, COVID-19 harms our body. He said, fear is also spreading. Fear, anxiety, dis-ease is spreading, harming, and he says, harming our minds, impacting our humility, and that people are becoming selfish, scared, and, and reacting, stocking up on things that they think they have to hand, like masks or alcohol or hygiene. And maybe we all have to have some of that, but pay attention. It's a practice for us to pay attention to how much do we actually need Right, and he said we should also ensure that we prevent our fear of COVID-19 from infecting our minds, right? Let's support each other on both levels, physically, mentally. And how can we support others who might need some help getting some things that they need is often a great question for us in terms of what can we do, Right. And then the, and the last part is related to what I just said. He said it's an opportunity to be generous and support each other. Support the community. Support your friends. Support your families. Support your neighbors. Support whoever needs some help. Because really the whole world is your neighbor right now. The idea that it isn't is just an unawakened idea. Because we're all in this together. And the last little piece I want to read came from my friend Jack Cornfield, who said, who, who echoes a little bit the, the bhikkhu. He said, epidemics, this is Jack saying, epidemics like earthquakes, tornadoes, and floods are part of the cycle of life on the planet Earth. Right? So the question for Jack is, how do we respond? Do we respond with greed or fear or, or ignorance that brings more suffering? Or do we respond with generosity or clarity or steadfastness or love, right? And he's saying this is a time for bodhisattvas. A bodhisattva is a Buddhist archetype, one who awakens for the benefit of all beings and, and deals with the suffering of all beings, who vows to alleviate the suffering and bring, bring, bring blessings to all beings. And so the bodhisattvas, as Jack's saying here, chooses to live with dignity and courage and radiates compassion for all, no matter where they find themselves. And Jack's suggesting, oh, this is the bodhisattva path for us, which I believe I may have said last week to you all. And he said, the beautiful things is we can see, the beautiful thing is that we can see bodhisattvas everywhere. 
you know, in Italy and the people singing on the, their banisters, right, in their balconies, right, or in the neighbors who are caring for their elderlies or elderly neighbors, or the healthcare workers who are keeping everything going for people who are sick, or even just the people who are stocking the shelves of our stores every day so that we can find what we need to survive. You know, and of course the question is, what can we do if we want to enter the, Bodhi, the realm of the Bodhisattva? What can we do to help ourselves and everybody else? You know, how can we hold our experience directly, whatever it be, our fear, our anxiety, our apprehension, our uncertainty, our helplessness, can we open to that so that we're not bound to it, but we're free to choose what do we really want to do? How do we really want to respond in this moment to reality, to the truth of the way things are? And one of the things Jack suggests that I think is quite beautiful, and I can't remember, I've been teaching a lot online, so I may have said this last week. We can, he said, we can feel ourselves part of something greater, of generations of survivors in the vast web of history and life. And then he quotes the Ojibwe elders, being carried, they say, by the great winds of the sky, right? And so he's suggesting that the veils of separation are beginning to let go or, or, or uh, unpart. Uh, and so the reality of our interconnectedness is really apparent to everybody who really looks clearly at what's going on. We're all interconnected in this. And so, and so what happens if you trust what you care about most? If you trust your heart, if you trust your goodness, if you trust your kindness, if you trust your love, if you trust your wisdom, because your wisdom is sitting here. Even, when, even if there's confusion and there's helplessness and there's anxiety, there's something more here. And can we trust the more rather than the reactivity that is very normal and very human. And so Jack, and he said, trust your dignity and goodness. He says, where others hoard, help. Where others deceive, stand up for truth. Where others are overwhelmed or uncaring, be kind and respectful. When you, when you worry about your parents or children or beloveds, let your heart open to share in everybody's care for their parents, their children, their loved ones. Really let yourself open to the great heart of compassion that is bigger than just our, our, our individual particulars. <clears throat> and then in the end, Jack goes on, he says, in the end, remember that you are timeless awareness that you are timeless awareness, the consciousness that was born into your body. You were born a child of the spirit, and even now you can turn towards the awareness and become the loving awareness that witnesses yourself 
hearing this and feeling and reflecting and thinking and being up and down. It's all being known by, <coughs> excuse me, by the one who knows, by the timeless awareness that's already free, actually. So those are a few thoughts from me. And we have time again, as we do every week for your comments, questions, and you can raise your hands, use the hand raising piece. I'm not sure where to find that again. I'm just looking for it. <coughs> um, maybe it's in chat. Yeah, it's in chat. And I believe if you raise your hand, then I'll see, a, by raise your hand, I mean use the bar at the bottom of your screen, I guess in the chat room. No, is that not the chat room? Huh. I'm not sure where that is. Well, actually, let me unmute you too. I'm gonna unmute you. So if you, um, yeah, let's see how to do this. Uh, I'm going to allow you to unmute yourself. So if you're not speaking, don't unmute. But if you want to speak and I call on you, please uh, feel free to unmute yourself. And the unmute is in the top right corner. Go to participants to raise hand. Okay, I did. I went. Thank you, Kitty. And so now you have to raise your hands if you want to speak, or we can just sit here for a minute and look at the screen. Actually, Allison Shore, would you just raise your hand so I could see if the hands are coming up? Thank you, Allison. Okay, so they're popping up. I'm gonna I'm gonna put your hand down, and if you want to speak, you can you can uh, raise your hand again. And of course, uh, you know, I've said this many times, it's way more interesting to hear what you have to say than just what I have to say. There we go, Lisa. Okay, Lisa, I'm gonna uh, unmute you. That's what I'm doing. Okay, Lisa, where are you? I'm right here, thank you, Eugene. Oh, there you are, hi. Yeah, I'll, I'll I wanna read a poem. Okay. From oh, the yeah, first, first three, three women. women. Yeah, great book. Okay. And and uh, he's eleven in, for those of you who are reading. He's in home. town right now. Yep. Yeah, Maddie's in town. Oh, good. It's called Mitta, friend. Full of trust, you left home, and soon learned to walk the path, making yourself a friend to everyone, and making everyone a friend. When the whole world is your friend, fear will find no place to call home. And when you make your mind your friend, you'll know what trust really means. Listen, I have followed this path of friendship to its end, 
And I can say with absolute certainty, it will lead you home. Beautiful, Lisa, really beautiful. And beautiful to see what Lisa is holding up is poems from the early Buddhist nuns, right? And this is the earliest part of the Theravada um, community. And, um, and it's a beautiful book. And that was great. Thank you. Because, of course, we're all living through the same experience of what is it to be human and how do we deal with fear? Because the fear is right here, right? The fear is sitting in our seats. We may be afraid of something, but the fear is right here. So yeah. thank you. You want to read another one, it looks like? No, no. I just I oh. want to talk about this line. Okay, go ahead. When you make the mind your friend, you'll know what trust really means. Uh -huh. So how do you understand that, Lisa? Well, that's what I've been practicing today is... Um, you know, the mind goes and, and it's, it's going crazy, right? It's, <laughs> and, you know, by making it its friend, I, mean, I can make it my friend by just letting it do whatever it does. And I say, it's like this. Uh -huh. Right. My mind is like this. Right. For me, that, that's when, it, when I recognize that it's like this, it's like recognizing this is the Dhamma, this is the way things are. Right. And, that just sort of opens a space of compassion. Uh -huh. Great. Beautiful. Well, you know, it's also when you see that this is the way things are, there's something seeing it that is not identified with it, that is not attached to it, that's not connected to the thoughts, because the thoughts just do themselves, right? And so there's freedom there already, ready. And we can, and I'm pushing this resting in the one who knows. And so we can relax even with the thoughts that are afraid. And it doesn't mean we don't feel the fear. We do. But, but something relaxes around it. It's not all of what's here. Great. Thank you. Let's see. Ben. You ready, Ben? I'm unmuting, Ben. Yes. Uh, hi, Eugene. Nice to see you and everyone else. Yeah, um, there's a couple of poems that I wrote. Uh -huh. um, and uh, I'd like to read one. Okay, read us one. Today. And it's written to day, almost as a verb. Uh -huh. How shall I live this day in social isolation? Alone, beside my smartphone, lying here lazily, no work. Seeing the, oh, sorry, go ahead. I thought you were done. Seeing the sunshine through my window, the flowers and the trees and the birds beckon my body to move with walking feet. My heart feels the joy of God's creation calling. The mind already visually connecting with the colors and the smells and sounds of this glorious praise-filled world. The body sensing that movement towards happiness, life, 
hope of quiet motion within. Prayer. Thanks for another day. You want to read it once more? Sure. Okay. Today. How shall I live this day? In social isolation, alone beside my smartphone, lying here lazily, no work. Seeing the sunshine through my window, the flowers and the trees and the birds beckon my body to move with walking feet. My heart feels the joy of God's creation calling. The mind already visually connecting with the colors and the smells and sounds of this glorious praise-filled world. The body sensing that movement toward happiness, life, hope of quiet motion within, prayer. Thanks for another day. Thank you, Ben. You know, it's interesting to hear your poem and the pointing at just the present moment and the gratitude that's in your poem. And that's a beautiful part of practice when we're here. And, and this acknowledgement of the magic of any moment, right, is just, we won't be here forever. So, thank you. Welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Who else? You don't have to read a poem to speak. <laughs> Comments, questions about anything that's been said, read? Okay, so I'm just taking people in order. Samuel. Samuel. Yeah, Samuel. Samuel, yeah. Yes, hi, Eugene. Hey. Thanks. Hi. Thanks, for, thanks for doing this. It's really sure. good. Great. Um, I, I guess this was a question I was going to sort of ask last week. Um, I didn't get the chance, but I wondered what your thoughts were. And maybe other people have had this thought, but something I've found that I've struggled with this situation is sort of the self-preservation, like looking after myself and then wanting to look after others. Mm -hmm. You know, going out into the world, going to help a neighbor or help somebody in needs, it inherently puts you, your own self at risk in some way. And how to reconcile that is something I've really struggled with. Right. So it can. It can put you in risk. And so, you know, uh, you want to take care of yourself partly so you can help other people but you have to take care of yourself even helping other people, which is, you know, and I don't know all the, you know, the bullet points, but probably wearing a mask of some kind and washing your hands and not touching them and not touching your face when you're around them and et cetera. And when you're doing the helping and then also um, 
Yeah, I would actually, I would Google your question if I were you, you know, what's, you know, how to help somebody and not get infected. Right. That's the question. Some question like that to Buddha Google. And you don't have to do it right now, but, <laughs> but you might be, <laughs> but you know, that's because we're all at risk anyways, is really the truth. And so, you know, anytime we go, go to a store, even get something delivered, we don't know who's touched it, right? Or if they're ill or if, or if where coronavirus is. So, you know, I, I, very important to do everything you can to not get the virus and also to function in some way. So that's my sense. Any any thoughts about what I said? Yeah, I th I think I understand these rules. I think it's kind of uh, it's it's kind of like I'm struggling with you know being selfish and being selfless. You uh, know, when you, and you want to do a little of both. You you want to take care of yourself. You want to be well, and how can you help? You know, and maybe maybe some people feel too uncomfortable actually working with somebody else but maybe there's something else you can do that you don't know about yet that would that would help them from a distance or in or in a more collective way right and of course you could just open your window and play your guitar and do some singing and see what happens you know that could help some people right it, just to make them feel good for a few minutes so, so be creative. You're, you, you're clearly creative. At least I'm looking at your guitars and I'm assuming you're creative. Be creative. How would you write a song for, for all of this? Or, yeah. Thank you. Sure. You're welcome. Okay. Karen. Let's see. Okay, I just unmuted. Um, I've been, first of all, I appreciate some of the things that I've heard today. I appreciated what Jack said about trusting your own wisdom because that's, um, this is a time when that I can, this is the kind of time where I can really get um, kind of tangled up. And, um, oh, okay. Um, so I appreciated that. I appreciated the the poem, especially the end with the gratitude for another day. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've been, one of the things that I've been experiencing that has been, I guess, a silver lining is I, f I feel like I've been appreciating the things I appreciate more, that music means more to me um, when I'm outside, just how beautiful everything is. Being, uh, being in touch with people without touching them. Um, yeah, really just like appreciating the people in my life a lot and, and feeling um, in a way everything is kind of fragile and, and really cherishing without, and I don't think it's clinging, but cherishing the moments that I have. Um, you, you can totally I don't know cherish. You can yeah. totally cherish. No, I, not a problem. Yeah. 
because I know I'm really aware that that I may not always have them. In fact, I won't. I mean, I won't. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, and and when I'm laughing, I'm laughing like a lot of people are finding a way to, to joke about what we're going through, not the disease itself, mm-hmm. but toilet paper mania, for example. Um, and it's just like it's it's a relief and, and even just a pleasure to be able to laugh at the crazy things that, that are kind of crazy that we're going through. Like toilet paper is a real need. Running out of it would be unpleasant. But, you know, human, being, human, being, human yeah. beings live for many, many years without toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And if you're in different cultures, you don't necessarily use toilet paper. Right. Right. There's right. water. And you know, you yeah. use your hand and you yeah. wash your hand and yeah. it's There's not even a big wrong. deal. But we're obsessed with it and it's and it's a relief to just I know. It, it 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 can be. Yeah, it's great. I saw some Freudian writing about why Americans are obsessed with toilet paper oh. and the anal uh, the mm-hmm. early anal experience of like babies or something and mm-hmm. it was like Boy, but you know, <laughs> but it's it it's a symbol of the anxiety that people are feeling, exactly. and that's what we want to get to, because it's here and it's here for all of us in some way, shape, or form. About our whole world's been turned upside down, and that's the way it is. And and yeah, and, and I guess the other side of it is it, I'm really aware of. I'm becoming more aware of um, the part of me that feels like I don't have enough, that I, mm-hmm. yeah, that feeling of, of that anxiety that comes with feeling um, a lack or, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And. Well, do you want to hear the bad news? Hmm? You want to hear the bad news? Yeah, sure. You, you don't have enough and you'll never have enough. Right. Right. I know. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, I've had the privilege of working with all different kinds of people, even some very, very wealthy people. Yeah. And they're, they're great, but they don't have enough. Yeah. There is, there's no such thing as enough. I know. <laughs> Reality doesn't work that way. Right. It's our minds that don't have enough. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the big deal? You know, you're, you're, you're here, you're, you're alive, you're breathing, you're eating, you've got a bathroom, you probably even have toilet paper. I have plenty. And, it, <laughs> and that's the thing, I have plenty of everything. And yeah. it's that fear of not, like that I won't. And just seeing that and yeah. seeing how not real that is. Yeah, right. It's great. It's great to see the mind and not be bound to your mind. Mm-hmm. Right, because the one who knows is not bound to the mind. Right. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so it's an interesting tension. It's really, and and it is funny. It can be, you know, and it's yeah. good we can. It's good we can laugh yeah. because we're also going to cry about this, and yeah. that both are true. Right. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to see you. Thank you. Let's see, Anna. Go ahead. Um, uh, oh, we're unmuted. We're unmuted. Can you hear us? Yeah. Yeah. Who's the us? Oh, let me see. Let's turn the video. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I can't and see. I mean, you look great in the photo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. One moment, sorry. Um, sure, new, it's okay. It's okay. We're all learning how to be Zoom, Zoom uh, mavens. <laughs> hmm. It's not giving me the option to turn on video on my phone here. Um, I apologize, but uh, I don't want to take up time. My partner is here. We've been listening to you, and we have a, a question he's going to ask. Sure, right? please. Hi, partner. Yeah, this Eugene, this is Jim Forbes. And Jim. Hi, hi to all you guys. Um, normally, we're in Madrid, but it just so happens that we're in Joshua Tree, California. Oh, I love Joshua Tree. Yeah, it's it's if you're going to be stuck someplace, it's a very uh, nice, spiritual, wonderful place that is naturally socially distanced. Yeah, yeah. I know Joshua Tree well. So here's uh, my situation is, you know, we, we have in fact embraced the Buddha Dharma and meditation more than ever during this um, shutdown, during this forced retreat. And my brother, whose house this is, He's in my place in San Francisco, he as well. But we have a third brother who even before this has been struggling, he had some cancer and he had some losses in his life. And he sent, we, we, we got him onto a family um, Zoom meeting today just for a few minutes and then he left. And then he sent us this text and I just wanna read it because I really am, my heart is breaking for this guy and I'm worried and I would, Love to hear your uh, response to this. So this is what my brother wrote. He said, the question is, how long are we willing to live this way? I don't know about you guys, but I'm already tired of this shit. This isn't living. When does the quality of life outweigh the quantity of the living? Who's expendable? Anyone? Is the risk worth it? Life is risky. Just something to ponder while our minds are still clear. You know, I, he's a younger brother. He, I tried to save and rescue him to really know, uh, you know, level of success for so many years. But what is there any suggestion, any advice you could give me? Uh, well, first of all, is a lot of love and kindness for him. He's suffering. And he's yes. suffering with, you know, more than just what you said, right? He's got his own dukkha and he's having a hard time with it. And so really, and loving kindness, who knows what it does, but it's more powerful than we think. And so that's first thing is just, you know, love him and love him in that way of offering him, you know, metta and compassion and, and joy and, equ and equanimity, the Brahma Viharas. Uh, and then also, um, uh, Agree with here's what I would do. This is just the very Eugene. I would agree with him. Oh, yeah, life is totally risky and totally crazy. And I'm and I would say, and I'm so glad you're here so we can keep risking together, being alive mm -hmm. as brothers. Because mm -hmm. let's see what happens if we if we go give it another six months or a year or what or whatever level of um skillfulness you think he might be capable of, of which is like another week or another month or another year or another five years and then see see in other words get him into dialogue about it 
because that keeps people alive when they're engaged. Mm. Does that make sense what I'm pointing at? It does. It touched me deeply. I, I heard some empathy, empathize with him. Don't try to change his way of thinking. No. And, and, and then love him and stay in contact with him. Yeah, because he knows something and he's struggling with something. And he's had some serious dukkha. And, you know, you know, the only thing, you know, I don't know how Buddhist he is, but, but you know, dukkha leads to the end of dukkha. You don't get there without the dukkha. You don't get to the end of dukkha without dukkha. Okay. Yes, thank, thank you, Eugene. That was better than I would have hoped for. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I'm only laughing because I hope I'm good once in a while, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. That was, okay. that was worth the recording. Great. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Uh, and good luck for, for you and for him. Let's, let's all wish him well, right? Because we're all struggling and different people are struggling in different ways. And I'm going to just walk away for a minute so I can turn on the light so I don't go into the dark here. Okay. Uh, okay, who's next? I'm not sure of your name, Oli or Ross. Uh, it's Oli. You're already unmuted. Hi. Hi, Oli. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, thanks for uh, your teachings, Eugene, and uh, bringing us together. Uh, it's awesome. Um, I think it was Karen who was saying, you know, this feeling of not having enough, or, uh, you know, we never have enough. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk to that in regards to practice. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing that the uh, crisis has really given me the opportunity to kind of practice more at home and at the weekends, which has um, been great. And I can really feel, you know, more practice helping me go deeper in the meditations and like noticing the awareness. Mm -hmm. But one thing I sometimes feel forlorn about is the ability, like I'll, think of the future and I'll worry that I won't be able to do kind of longer sits and reach kind of deeper levels that, you know, the teachers I listen to or maybe yourself or other people in the past have reached. And I just kind of wondered, and then, and I guess in my situation, I'm, um, was well supposed to get married in the, uh, in the next six months, um, and, uh, start a family. And so something that I, yeah, I find a tension between, the kind of wanting to go deep with the practice, but mm -hmm. at the same time worry that, and do I have to make some kind of larger change in my life to do that? And I wondered if you had any thoughts on that or if it's something that you found in, for yourself when going following the path. Yeah, but I'm going to try to look up a, a quote very quickly to speak to you. Let's see if I got it. There it is. Hold on. It'll take me a minute for it to come up because uh, you're asking a really good question about how do you live your life and if you can't just do whatever you want, even if what you want is to go and retreat all the time or do deep retreats, you know, how do you live a life and have a family and marriage and kids and all that? And that's really important question. 
Let's see if I've got the quote here. Here's the quote from Sayadaw Utejaniya, right? Utejaniya says, if you continue to practice daily, all day long, always with the commitment to try and bring awareness to every part of your life, it will happen. If you continue to practice daily, all day long, always with the commitment to try and bring awareness to every part of your life, it will happen. You can become enlightened in daily life. So, so that's a really important piece, given what, what you're asking, because he's reassuring you about this. He's saying you can wake up right here, right now, with this practice. Yeah. And, and, and believe me, even on retreat, people believe, they don't believe they can get enlightened. Most people really don't. And it's almost a little easier if you don't even think about it. <laughs> if you just do the practice, it will do you. Yeah. And no, I, that, I have a that great quote, trust That quote's that. perfect for me. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, and so, you know, um, that's why I keep encouraging you and everybody to relax whatever is happening, because this moment is as precious as any moment ever. Right. And, and, you know, I've had, I've said a lot of long retreats and had deep practice and it's all good. And it's, but, you know, it's still uh, the only moment that I'm here is right now. So what am I here? So the question is still the same. Am I actually here right now? Right? And, and then what is here becomes a bigger question at a certain point. Okay. That's great. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you, Eugene. You're welcome. Good to see you. Okay. I think that's it, huh? Nobody else? You got to raise your hand. Come on, Ben. You already been. You already were here. Okay. Just, ben. just want to read something from someone else. <laughs> okay. Ben's in a reading and, and, mood tonight. And say one practical thing, which is, um, I have these wipes that I take with me when I go out or when uh -huh. I'm home, and they're very strong. Uh huh. And it's good if you're in a store or something to use these wipes to wipe down something first before you pick it up. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is from a friend and he sent me a meditation, but this is the end part. And he says, consider the ravens. Um, in the winter, the, uh, the weather is wild and the more wild it is, the more the ravens love it. This is an allegory. Mm -hmm. But it's also true. They have the time of their lives in the winter when the winds get much stronger and there's a lot of ice and snow. They challenge the wind. They challenge their destiny. Mm -hmm. They get up on the tops of the highest trees and hold on with their claws and beaks. At a given point, they just let go into the wind let it blow them away then they play with their destiny they float on it 
after a while, they go back to the tree and start all over again. It is a game for them. The same goes for us. If we begin to understand our destiny and the destiny of our fathers and mothers, we will also be able to serve as an inspiration for others in our family. Okay, thank you, Ben. Crow Dharma. <laughs> uh, uh, last thing before we end, we're, we've just got a minute or so. Um, what am I supposed to say? I'm supposed to say something about Donna. And uh, hey, Trip, maybe you can tell me. Jeff told me something about Donna, but I can't remember what he wanted me to say. Uh, I, yeah, just I think to let people know that uh, there's the donate page on our website and so instead of a yellow box There's a yellow button that says donate and that'll uh -huh. take you to PayPal uh, Where you can actually donate through PayPal or just enter a credit card and bypass PayPal Great, and yeah, and you should tell them what you're donating for I believe is that right? Trip, I said, and then you should tell them what you're donating for. Oh, right. Yeah, if, if possible, um, uh, at the end of the process with PayPal, there's a way to give us a note. And if you're just using the credit card, it's at the top of the screen. You can just say it for Sunday night. That would be great. Thank you. Great. Thank you all. And, you know, Donna means generosity. We appreciate your help uh, in every way. So thank you. And thank you, Trip, for helping with this. And and the one other thing I wanted to say is Kitty Costello put something in the chat box about a helpful fear-busting video from a doctor in New York City who's taking care of uh, COVID patients all day. And uh, I haven't read that but I or seen it, but I heard about it. I heard it was really good, really helpful, and really fear-relaxing, right? And so thank you, Kitty. You're welcome. Okay, everybody, a few, just a moment to um, reflect on our good fortune that we're here, that we're alive, that we share the Dharma together, and that we have the good fortune to keep discovering what's true and how to work with it and how to stay awake no matter what's here. And may our good fortune, our blessing, may it go out in every direction, touching beings in every world, in every realm. Sending our heartfelt wishes, may all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings awaken and discover the truth of who they are, the truth of the one who knows, the loving awareness, as Jack calls it these days. May we all wake up together. to be with you all. Please take good care. Be well. Um, I'll see some of you on Tuesday night at the
Satipatthana class, and I'll be back again next Sunday. So please take good care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.